You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of P.S. Meet Me at Stage Door. Today, we're talking to a very special guest. But before we get started with that, we're going to go to our news bulletin. The In the Heights film has been postponed till summer 2021. The big screen adaptation of Lin-Manuel Miranda's Tony Award-winning Broadway musical is now slated to hit theatres June 18, 2021, due to theatre closures caused by the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. Which, of course, is understandable, but it's still so heartbreaking to the theatre community, especially with the state of the theatre world at the moment. This is the last week for the National Theatre at Home and they're going out with a bang with William Shakespeare's romantic comedy, The Twelfth Night. And last but not least, we now have a Facebook page. You can check us out over on Facebook at PS Meet Me at Stage Door. So come by, say hi and give us a like. But that's it for the bulletin this week. Back over to you, Libby. Today we have another guest for you, our favourite bite-sized performer, Elizabeth Evans. Liz is the creator of the one-woman cabaret, The Mini Marilyn. She was also the director of the Australian premiere production of Glory Days in 2014 and is a member of the professional tap company Girls on Tap, which travelled to New York City to perform as part of the Rave Theatre Festival in 2019. Recently, myself and Tori performed alongside Liz in Reprise Theatre Company's inaugural show, Tales of Favot, which is how we met this absolute pocket rocket of a performer. Please welcome to the mic, Liz. Hi, guys, or gals, I should say. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm very excited and nervous. All the, all the feelings. Yeah. <laughs> you have nothing to be nervous about. It's fine. So we're going to be asking you a couple of questions today just about your performance experience and a little bit about the shows you've been in and the, um, the way you've created your own cabaret. So I guess we wanted to start off by asking how you got into your music theatre journey. And we did notice that you did GFO's Annie, which is incredible. Was this a turning point to turn it into a career? I guess I had a pretty, pretty similar experience to a lot of theatre kids. My mum is a retired music teacher, so we always had musicals playing in the house. Cats and Les Mis were like the big two that were always playing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, so so iconic. And so from a really young age, I was doing singing lessons and dance lessons and speech and drama. And then that very quickly led to Steadfords and competitions. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I think as a kid, though, I was never the most talented in the room and I would never get the first places as a kid. But I think I was the one that always wanted to keep doing it and keep going. Mum and dad would get to the point where they would say, oh, no, I think I think maybe you've got too much on your plate as a nine-year-old. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I was the one that was like, no, 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 I, I, we can fit this in. We can fit this extra competition into, like, my schedule. It's fine. So I was definitely the one that was like, I have to do more. Like, I was just really hungry for it. And then when I was 10, that's when I did Annie. And I remember so, I remember the audition process so clearly compared to the actual season and once we started rehearsing and once we started performing, I just remember I did, I did so many bad no-no things really? auditioning. Yeah, I, I wore, I wore, I wore a stretch denim skirt with leggings. Oh my God. Why? <laughs> Why? And we, and the first thing we did was a dance call. Why would you do that? No. Um, 
but I wore a really, I wore a really bright orange top and I was like, that'll make the panel remember me. But it must have, it must have made some kind of impression because I remember it was quite a while from the last day of callbacks. Like it was like a three day audition callback process in Brisbane. And then it was about three to four weeks before I got the phone call. And I remember mum took the call told me, I was so excited, so happy. And the first thing I did was I called my dance teacher and then we had to say, we had to like beg and like tell her, you can't tell anyone yet because they were really specific on don't say anything oh, until no, we do course, an official release, like official press announcement. But then, but then it made it so much sweeter when we were able to tell everyone. Yeah, of and course. Yeah, it was a, it was a really mm-hmm. fun hardworking process and I think that I think the big turnaround for me and I don't know whether this is a positive or a negative because I sometimes tell people and they're like um I got to know really quickly at a young age at 10 what a professional performer's life and work ethic Mm -hmm. would need to be like to sustain a career and you got to work with Anthony Warlow what was that like yeah he was lovely I uh I just remember when uh, he would come in. It was business, like it was showtime. Oh. You had to, you had to be on your best behavior. You couldn't muck around and joke around. When when Mr. Wallow walked in to do a scene or to do something with the kids, it was like it was on wow. time. And I think that that would teach you so early in life about like the rehearsal process. And while it's like fine, and it's something that I've, I think we've both found Libby and I. Well, probably all of us that there are times when you're like okay like this is okay like it's fine to like have fun and joke around there's times it's like okay stop we got to get stuff done now yeah and I um that feeling mm-hmm. and mentality having that as a kid that's probably the, the the biggest thing that stuck with me and I don't know if you guys noticed when we were rehearsing Tales of Favot I was always yes. one of the first people <laughs> that was like okay guys let's do this scene let's do this number let's get it done we can joke afterwards and I'm like that with everything, whether it's rehearsing my yeah. own stuff or Girls on Tap mm-hmm. or any project I'm doing. I'm like, do the work first and then we can have fun later. And I think Annie was the, I don't want to say trigger, but I guess, yeah, yeah maybe the, the the trigger of that, like the, the start of the sentence for what's to come. I think it's just something that you really need to know that it's like, okay, to have like the fun and the jokes, but you do need to work. know when it's time to be like, okay, cool, let's get down to business. Absolutely. And look, I think on the opposite side of the spectrum, I sometimes wonder um, was performing in a professional musical at the age of 10 and having such high expectations put on me at that age, was that a healthy thing? (laughs) I don't know. Would I recommend my children doing it? I don't know. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, it was the best. It was the best fun. And I'm uh, still, it's been one of the best performing experiences I probably will ever have. So I wanted to ask, what was the experience and the process like taking Girls on Tap to perform as part of the Rave Theatre Festival in New York City? Like, what was that festival itself? Yeah, so Rave Theatre Festival is, it 
was its first year last year. Basically, to kind of put it into the best perspective for Australian audiences, I would say it's um, a fringe festival, uh, but very, yeah. I would say very niche. Uh, and it's run by a man mm-hmm. called Ken Davenport. Now, he runs an amazing podcast, and I can't recommend this podcast enough. It's called The Producer's Perspective, and it is incredible, and I would really recommend anyone that likes theatre, wants to work in theatre or wants to produce their own theatre, listen to this podcast because he's a very well-known producer of Broadway musicals and plays. Um, And he basically every week just has one of his friends and they just talk about uh, musicals or anything they've worked on and just tidbits and advice but it's it's a lot of things that you wouldn't think of and I got onto that podcast when I first started um, developing Minnie and her show and then coincidentally Girls on Tap is run by the incredible Sally Dashwood and I can't rave about her enough she's a queen and I'm a cast member of the show and we had previously performed a season at Glen Street Theatre um, in February so that show was a Mm -hmm. two-act 80 to 90 minute show and for Rave Theatre Festival they are really strict on we want 60 minutes neatly wrapped up in a bow show Um, so the process for, for taking the show over to Um, New York was different because a lot of the time I'd been in projects or even with mini we have to flesh it out and you have to try and add things to make the show longer this was the first time where we had to go right we've got a two-act show how can we consolidate this into a strict 60 minutes what are the best bits we can use so that was a really fun and interesting process Mm. working with Sally as choreographer and creator and then her husband Tim Dashwood Um, he was our director and it was really fun um, working out how to strip it back and make it a really great concise 60-minute production. Um, Also with the idea that we were traveling overseas we can't take sets and lots of props and so it was as well going, okay, how can we do that same show that we did at Glen Street, which had beautiful sets and amazing props and immaculate costumes. How can we take that and take those elements, mm-hmm. technical elements as well, and take them over to New York? So yeah. there was lots of really fun problem solving that I yeah. felt very privileged to be a part of as well. And I found it to be a really collaborative experience. I think yep. dance lends itself to that Um being a bit more collaborative than just um, a musical with choreography, like when it's a dance-led piece. So, yeah. That's incredible. And did you find any differences between, like, the American scene and American music theatre scene as opposed to the Australian scene here? Was there lots of differences? I wouldn't say there were lots of differences. Yeah. I would say the biggest difference was that the theatre and performing community in New York, it really has such a sense of camaraderie and family, even more than I think what the Sydney scene does. Um, for example, we there were twice where I was like, wow, I can't believe that happened. I was in Capizio buying immense amount of dance supplies. <laughs> as you do. Yeah, as you do. And the girl that was serving me was asking what I was doing and I explained I was there for some shows and she asked about the shows and she said she'd heard of Rave Theatre Festival and she was asking about Girls on Tap and then she asked what nights we were performing and how many shows we had left and then she came to see a performance. Oh, no way. Yeah, just a girl. 
Girl I Met at Capizio. And then we had the same we had the same experience when we went to take class at Broadway Dance Centre. Oh my gosh, you got to do a Broadway dance centre. Yeah, class? yeah, oh. it was amazing. It was amazing. We did a um a tap class with Shay Sullivan, who's an, an incredible, incredible um tapper, Broadway legend. She learned from Gregory Hines, who's an incredible tapper. Uh, he he was incredible. It definitely does feel different. Like when I've when I went and did my course at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, it's I was really scared of this, you know, everything being like really like competitive and like and whilst it is competitive and cutthroat, like the pianist for my course was like, Oh hey, um such and such is doing this audition. I think you'd be great. Why don't you go along? And I'm like, Oh you like me? You want me to go? Oh. Like you want you want me to Okay. Well, yeah, and like same when I went to Laduca. They're just so supportive and they want to support other creators in their industry, which we still do have here, but it feels almost more welcoming. Definitely. And I think look, I'm guilty of it as well when you see someone putting on a show or having a show and you see the Facebook event and you click maybe or you click going and then you don't end up going for whatever reason, I find that that's a lot more prevalent prevalent in Sydney. Whereas in New mm-hmm. York, yeah, I met, <laughs> mm-hmm. I met the girl at Capizio and she came to see a show that night. Like, um, and yeah, I mean, and then that lends itself to the argument of, well, I guess theatre in New York's a lot more accessible. There's different price points. There's more to choose yeah. from. Like there's that whole cyclical argument that you could have all day. Yeah. There's something going on. Like, yeah. I think I went and saw something every single day or every single night. Like there was never a lack of whether it be pro-am or off-Broadway or Broadway or independent or new like there's just so much mm-hmm. variety and like you said different price points That's and it. opportunities like they eat breathe sleep theater yeah if if theater is their thing that's what that's what they do and see in New York and I remember we only had yeah we had two nights off when we were there and both nights we all saw a show so we did notice that you also featured on Channel 7's All Together Now. What was that experience like and what what exactly was the show? Yeah, that was awesome. So it was two years ago now. Um, oh, really? So, yeah, it was 2018. <laughs> I can't believe it. Oh, wow. Time flies. I know. I feel like I only just said, and I think because it's still on 7 Plus and people can still watch oh, yeah. it, they're like, oh, that, that only aired yesterday. It didn't, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so I had heard that there was a show that was going to be filming that was using lots of different judges from the performing and arts and entertainment industries. Uh, and I thought, and I, it was funny, I thought about chasing the lead that I heard it from and trying to get a mm. name, and tr- but it all kind of seemed too hard. And I had just finished the Sydney season of my mini Marilyn show and I thought, oh, I just, yep. I'm just going to have a rest. Like that seems too yeah. hard basket. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. It's fine. And then I was at my day job. Uh, I work casually at the Australian National Maritime Museum. And I got a phone call and I answered it. And I thought, I thought it was someone pranking me or having a laugh. And it was a executive producer for the show. And they wow. said, yeah, and they for, for Endemol Shine, and they said um, we've we've found Mini Marilyn on social media. You've popped up. Um, 
you know, would you like to be involved? And they pitched the show to me and instantly I, and I said to the, the man on the phone, oh, that's yeah. really funny. I was going to try and find you. And he laughed and he said, oh, it's meant to be then. And, yeah, the rest is history. <gasps> so wow. um, That's amazing that they found you and were just instantly kind of because obviously we saw that Brendan Delahaye was on it as well yeah and I feel like you both have that similar whilst you're very different you both have that effervescent personality it's just like obviously it's what they wanted on the show they wanted big fun personality yeah so um Brendan was actually who I heard the, uh, the lead from about oh. the show and the funny thing is oh, really? yeah. so Brendan is probably my first friend that I made in Sydney when I moved down oh. to go to AIM oh, wow. um, he was the year above me so when I was in second year at AIM he no when I was in first year he was a second year uh, so yeah. Um, he yeah he's a dear dear friend of mine one of my best friends probably for life and um yeah he told me that he had been asked to be on the show and I was a bit envious and I was like oh that would be something really fun too oh I'm a bit jealous and then yeah a week later I got the call as well and um it was it was so much fun it was a very busy in again intense time um I learned very quickly how TV is very different to theatre. Yeah. I actually yeah. found it a lot more demanding just in terms of filming the show and because it was like a reality light entertainment program, you had to be on, and I say that mm. in inverted commas, you had to be on the 12 to 14 hours you were there filming. So because as well I was mini and she's a whole different energy and personality to what I am in everyday life, mm-hmm. it, it's, um, it's a lot of energy that you're investing to stay on and bubbly and alive on a, on a TV camera. Yeah. I've definitely found the energy from doing like film and television is, it is completely different and depending on what you're doing, and I feel like that's completely different because it's also live. It was a very tiring time, but I'm glad, Tori, you know exactly when I'm talking about that idea of it's it takes a lot of energy. <laughs> Did you get to meet anyone any of the other celebrities that you're like, oh my gosh, I've seen you for a long time. Absolutely. I've read Rhonda Birchmore's book, <gasps> oh Cover my to God. Cover, so much that the first copy I bought when I was in year 11, I ruined it from overreading it. I think I broke the spine and half the book fell out. <laughs> so I bought another, I bought another copy, copy recently after that. And then, yeah, to, she's, she's one of my real life absolute idols that I look up to so much Mm. and to work with her and develop a friendship and she's an amazing woman of course I don't know if either of you watched her on I'm a Celebrity oh yeah get me out of here she's like but that's that is honestly (laughs) what she's like she's a gem so just just she's so genuine absolutely when watching her I'm like oh I can't believe you got to meet her she I would love to meet her she seems like such a beautiful person yeah and amazing other performers like Lara Mulcahy, Sylvie Palladino, Amanda Harrison again all these powerhouse women that I've looked up to for years that you know when you're in high school they're they're killing it and you're going yep I want to I want to be like that one day and um yeah and it's it's that whole thing of meeting your idols and and what do you do yeah did you freak out yeah absolutely biggest internal freak out huge and on that topic of all together now we thought we'd talk a little bit about your character Minnie Marilyn 
So your self-devised cabaret, The Mini Marilyn, has toured throughout Australia to sold-out performances, which is absolutely incredible. How did you come up with the alter ego of Marilyn? Well, um, so Mini Marilyn is actually a combination of Marilyn Monroe, but also the best pieces of other female performers that I find really inspiring. The show is made up of songs not just by Marilyn, but there's also Kylie, Mm -hmm. Lady Gaga, Pink, the Spice Girls, um, Doris Day. It's a lot of female performers that I looked up to both as a kid and now as a professional performer. I came up with her. Originally, uh, the idea was, you both have seen Moulin Rouge, the movie? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. So, you know, in the movie where Christian and all his crew, just before they go into the Moulin Rouge, they're having their absinthe parties and then the Green Fairy, played by Carly Minogue, pops Mm -hmm. up. That's what... That that scene and that idea of this like little spirit yes. popping oh my God. up, that's what I originally wanted Minnie Marilyn to be. But over time, it's developed and gone into different places. But originally it was I wanted her to be like a – because I, re- I really love cocktails. Yep. I really love alcohol. <laughs> I wanted Minnie Marilyn to be that same idea of she's actually a cocktail that's come to life. I love that. So the first show that I did in um, South East Queensland, the first season – was a lot more of that idea like I started the show as myself and then consumed this cocktail that I had made for the audience in inverted commas and then all of a sudden I transform on stage into the mini Marilyn. Oh, oh okay. that's really interesting. And then the rest of the show I told stories and spoke about cocktails and spoke about mm-hmm. Marilyn and oh. um, the show's a bit different to that now. The whole show I am mini Marilyn and um, appear on stage and sing all this different music and now it's, I really prefer the show now. It's at a place where the show mm-hmm. really is yeah. about celebrating women celebrating how great female performers are, music written and performed by females. Um, And there is that love of cocktails and drinks Mm -hmm. as well in it. But it's a lot more pro-life and love and it's a lot more empowering than what I originally thought it would be. Mm. Uh, And I didn't originally mean it to be influenced by anything to do with the hashtag Me Too era or what was going on. But I think now more than ever it's even uh, in, in a more positive light that um, this show is so pro-female and I am also like coincidentally for the Melbourne season I had an all-female cast and crew which you don't get very often. No you don't. I love when women support women you know in especially in theatre having you know um, directors or music directors, tech people like lighting, costume, everything if they're all female that is really rare to find. Absolutely and it's and um, it's a really positive and empowering experience both on stage and off stage and I really Mm -hmm. love that. That's amazing and did you find that you came into any difficulties or roadblocks when you were creating the show? Um, Look I'll be honest I think the most difficult part and the biggest roadblock I think anyone would face writing their own material or creating their own project is money you need money to do things. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was really, okay, how am I going to finance this sensibly? Um, I don't want to sell off my life, the universe and everything just to do one yeah. season. Um, so it was it was how to, how to not cut corners but how to make yeah. sensible decisions about the show 
And be business savvy. Yeah, business savvy with the creative mind, I think is what I definitely went in with. I mean, now I'm at a point where I would love, haha, shameless plug, I would love for an investor or a producer to come on board and collaborate uh, and that kind of thing. But it's really hard. It's, it's, it's a really hard thing. Uh, and I really take my hat off to anyone, big or small, that have their own shows or companies. Um, I think it's a really hard thing to do. And it's one of, of those course. areas that I really hope mm-hmm. that we all keep supporting each other and um, each other's original ideas and works and shows mm-hmm. because, you know, these these big companies that put on these big national tours, they only employ so many people. It's, it's that same argument. They only employ so many people, so we all have to find and make work elsewhere, which I know that you both would have both got preached at it aim about uh-huh create your own opportunities and that's so smart of you to be able to have done that and it's such an achievement to have worked so hard outside of your own show to put that on and I think that's really amazing to see that you ha- you actually got the funds yourself you're the one that really pushed and worked hard for it and then has this incredible outcome that has done really well. Like that is a huge achievement. That is Thank awesome. Thank you. That's yeah. so kind of you. Thank you. No, it's just awesome. And we wanted to know a little bit about what was the process for creating your cabaret? Were there many other people involved? Obviously no producers, but like, you know. I worked out very quickly that no matter what I did, I wanted Brendan to design it. Yep. Because oh, yes. He's incredible and if you don't follow his Instagram, again, shameless plug, Brendan Delahaye, he just comes up with the most amazing visually spectacular photos of even what he's wearing that day to do housework. It's incredible. So I just knew that whatever I did, it had to be designed and costumed by Brendan. I initially went straight for, okay, what songs do I want to sing first? And then I and then I based the rest of the show from that. So yes, once I okay. had a good working running song list, which I developed with my amazing uh, musical director Benjamin Keener, so so clever, can whip up arrangements mm-hmm. of things that I would never mm-hmm. dream of of songs. So he's great. That's really convenient to have someone that when you're developing the songs to come up with different arrangements so that your cabaret is unique in itself. Absolutely, that's really interesting. Absolutely. I really wanted a lot of the material to have that postmodern jukebox, mm-hmm. vintage mm. sound, yep. that swing, big yes. band kind of sound. And I mean, the next step now for the show is I want to have like a three, four, five piece band eventually. Oh, oh that'd be amazing. so cool. So that's, again, something else that I'm working towards for the next incarnation of the show. So once I had a good running song list and music list and have a great arrangements that I developed with Ben, it was, okay, what do I need now? Yes, I've got room to have two backing dancers. Let's get those, get, get yes. them in. Let's choreograph some routines. Let's block the show. Let's work out script. Um, and just adding, adding layers to it mm-hmm. uh, with the final, you know, the final step being, okay, rehearse, run, perform the show. Now, I wanted to ask if you had any advice for those who want to create their own cabaret, like what would your advice to those people be? Do it. That's my advice. Um, Do it. Don't be afraid that it's going to be different from what other people are doing. Uh, Mm -hmm. One thing that I got told very quickly was, well, why don't you just do a Marilyn show? Why do you have to 
that would be easier. Why don't you just do a Marilyn show and make it autobiographical? Why does it have to be an original character with all different music? Well, that's because I wanted to celebrate a multitude of things. I didn't want to just go on stage in a white dress and a blonde wig and sing all of Marilyn's biggest hits. Yeah, which would have been easy to do, but I didn't didn't want to go down that avenue. I wanted to be original and different. Go with the different and the unusual and the unknown and the original. It doesn't have to be like everyone Mm -hmm. else or like what everyone else is performing and presenting. If you've got an idea that's different and unique, embrace it. The world wants to see new ideas and new stories. We can only tell the same story so many times over before it becomes old. What do you think has been one of your favourite memories from touring with Minnie Marilyn or touring with Girls on Tap even? Mm, Favourite memory probably would be out of everything other than New York. New York's like six star, gold standard. Of course. Uh, but for me, for Minnie, I, um, it's a different kind of feeling because Minnie Marilyn, I, I feel much more proud knowing that it's my baby and mm-hmm. I've put this up and yeah. I think for me when we went to Melbourne in January last year we did a six night season at the Butterfly Club and to me I believe that Melbourne's kind of the hub of cabaret okay. in Australia other than the Adelaide Cabaret Festival but um, yeah. to be performing in Melbourne was such a thrill because I knew you know so many great cabarets have performed there and it was great exposure and it was just, yeah, a little a little pinch me moment knowing that it was the third city, it was the end of like the East Coast kind of tour for Mini and like, hey, I did it. This is this is fantastic. That's incredible. Well, thank you so much for everything that you have enlightened us upon through this interview with you. But before we leave, we really wanted to find out your bedtime story. So for those of you who are listening in for the first time, we do a bedtime story, which is basically like a funny thing that has happened on stage. It could be a mishap. It could be a showmance. It could be literally anything. A costume melt function just something that you know everyone goes through as a performer there's always some story (laughs) exactly love to know if you have a bedtime story that you could share with us today I do oh I'm ready my mom listens to this she's gonna lull her head off all right so as a kid actually as a teenager I was always the kid at my dance school that would have costume malfunctions so there are so many there are so many dance concert DVDs where I lose a hat mid routine and everyone else is dancing, or a bra strap flies, or a hairpiece flies off, and the fact that there's physical evidence of this is terrifying <laughs> because I feel like one day someone very cruel in my life will just make a big compilation of it all. Anyway, um, I was always the kid that would have costume malfunctions at a Stedford's or concerts. So this came full circle. I thought going to university and then working professionally, it would never, ever happen again because yeah, totally. I was a big person now and that only happens when you're young and silly. No. So when I was, <laughs> I must have been 22 or 23, I was performing uh, in the Harry McClary uh, children's musical at the Sydney Opera House 
which oh, was yeah. so much fun. I played Schnitzel von Crumb with the very low tum, the sausage oh, dog yeah. in, in that, oh, the dash the house in dog. that show. It was my so childhood. much fun. That was my first, that was my first professional gig out of AIM. So it was awesome. Wow. Uh, and it was children's performing, which I have a real big secret love for. So mm, uh, it was wonderful too. to do that. Anyway, um, yeah. the first, it's a 70-minute children's show. The first half of the show, my track was just schnitzel and I wore a toe-to-head lycra suit, dog suit, and then like a big, I actually can't remember if it was paper mache or fiberglass, I think paper mache, but a big schnitzel dash hound head. So sexy. So sexy. With (laughs) um, enough room to have my headset inside uh, and eyes and eye holes and breathing holes. So it was all very safe and and great. Um, But halfway through the show, you start having to do quite a few quick changes because my track, for one number, I was a grandma. For another number, I was a townsperson. But in between those scenes, I had to go back to schnitzel. And so so a lot of the time you were having to just – put things over the top of the dog suit and just zip mm-hmm. up. So that was fine. But there was one particular costume change, which was I had to completely get out of the dog suit and uh, be a bumblebee, I'm fairly sure. Yes. So it was just – it was there was just a lot of quick costume changes. Yeah. And there was one day – it was during the first week of performances. So our creative team hadn't gone their separate ways and left the resident director in charge. They were still there watching the shows. and. Yep. One costume change. Now, these were very thick industrial zips, so I still don't know what I did. But one costume change, I was zipping out of my dog suit to get into the, a townsperson costume or maybe it was the bumblebee, but I zipped it down, got changed, and then when I went back into schnitzel, I must have completely, like I must have done too aggressive a zip and of course. completely pulled the zip off its <gasps> stitch and the, oh zip, no. the zip was no more. The zip was gone. So no. there was this huge hole from my bum to my neck where the zip would be. And oh so no. all I had underneath was a like a leotard body stocking and my underwear. And the stage manager was also helping with our quick changes and she said, Liz, I can't find the zip it's not there it's not attached to the seam it's not on your suit you've just got this hole and I said do we have any safety pins and I couldn't find any safety pins nearby and this is like 30 second quick changes we're talking about so I ended up not going on for that number and we found for the next number where I had to go on for schnitzel we found like velcro sticky dots that we quickly stick stick together and do a real quick like stick 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 it all together for the last number and the curtain calls the schnitzel but I actually can't I actually still to this day don't know what they did for the number that I was meant to go on as and and schnitzel just never appeared everyone just had such a laugh because they said with every season they've done this show there's always one person that has this super duper costume malfunction oh my god of course (laughs) And that night I called both my mum and my old dance teacher and they laughed and they said after all those years, of course it happened in your professional career as well. But since then, touch wood, nothing, nothing has ever happened. No mini malfunctions 
it's all good. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Liz, for coming on today. And we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We'll be back next week with another episode and we hope to see you then. Thank you so much, ladies, for having me. And I especially want to say I think what you're doing with this podcast is fantastic. Once again, two females. It's so incredible. And I say keep doing what you're doing. And I think this is awesome. Congratulations. This is such a great idea and a great show. So well done, ladies. Thank you so much, Liz. That means the absolute world to us. And once again, thank you so much for chatting to us today. We absolutely loved having you on. And thank you for sharing your experience and knowledge with us. It was amazing. So thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for tuning in today, guys. This is the end of the episode, but do not fret. We will have a new episode coming out in two weeks' time all about theatre superstitions. But until then, stay happy and healthy. We love you guys so, so much. Bye! Hey, it's Leslie Udom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.